Welcome to the Power Doc Talks, your number one source for information about powerlifting, sports injury and rehabilitation, nutrition, and evidence-based chiropractic with your host, Dr. Travis Dyer, sports chiropractor and elite-level powerlifter, also featuring guests in the top of their fields. Hey everyone and welcome back. This time I want to go over something that a lot of new beginning powerlifters uh, ask me a lot about. And even if you're not a beginner and you've done a meet or two, uh, this is still something that you might you know, question. And that is what federation you should lift in. So there's a lot of different variables that go into this. Um, and we're just going to go through them to help you choose the federation that's right for you um, when you go to compete. So the first one is basically location. I mean, this is the biggest thing. You don't want to be traveling you know, hours and hours for meets um, when you could have a federation that's local to you. Uh, I know around here in Maine, we have the APF. USAPL now and RPS now, um, all of which you know happen pretty regularly uh, around the state. So you have a bit of diversity there. When we were out in New York, it was you know IPA, uh, USPA, and RPS as well. Um, so I mean, location is the biggest thing, uh, and you're pretty limited by what's around you. The next thing that I think is the biggest thing for a lot of people is whether it's drug tested or not. So USAPL and IPF are 100% drug tested as far as I know, or they test a certain amount of people, but it's supposed to be 100% drug free. Um, IPA and RPS uh, have the option to get drug tested. Uh, you just have to pay a little bit more. You would pay for the drug test basically. Um, so, I mean, even if you do want to get drug tested, you don't have to just stick with those drug-free federations. You can go with ones that offer drug testing so you're competing on the same platform. Uh, with that being said, there are you know non-tested federations as well that don't test anybody. I believe that's the APF, although they do have a subsidiary called AAPF, which is the Amateur American Powerlifting Federation. Um, but RPS has the division elite that you can do to get drug tested, and so does IPA. Uh, they just say it's amateur. Uh, another thing that's really important is looking at their fees. Uh, so most federations will have a yearly membership fee or due that you have to pay in order to do those meets. And that can add up over time, say you want to do a meet, um, but this is a new federation you've never done, so you have to pay for the card to be able to do the meet, as well as the entry fee. And I know a few meets actually charge you to um, pay for the spotters and loaders, but normally that's included right in the in the meat entry fee. Uh, typical meat entries hover around you know between seventy and a hundred dollars, um, and sometimes a membership fee can be up to fifty dollars. Uh, however, the RPS doesn't do any membership fees at all, and I see that their entry fees are typically lower than most. Um, I have competed mostly in RPS. Um, and here in Maine, that's the one that I'm going to stick with for a while. Uh, they do it in August. They have a full power meet. And also, if you've never seen it, if you re if you care about this, their trophies are some of the best around. Um, they really, you know, take care of their lifters and their spotters are very, very good as well. Um, so you also want to look at the competition that it attracts. Uh, you don't want to go to a, a very small meet that nobody's going to be at. You definitely want to seek out competition, especially if you, you know, you want to get somewhere in the sport. Uh, when I started out, I was, you know, thinking, you know, I'm only going against myself. I'm here to just break my own numbers. Um, but as you get higher up, uh, basically you're judged against who you beat, not really what your own numbers are. Uh, this was especially pronounced at the Big Dogs meet that was just hosted in Australia, I believe. It's the best in the world, best totals in the world, top 10. Um, and one of the guys, the meat promoter, said there's a big guy in America 
that everybody said should have been invited. Uh, but he looked at his numbers. His numbers were very, very good. His total was very good. But he didn't go up against anybody in competition. So basically, it's not judged the same as if he has a competition. Uh, you know, you're judged by who you beat. And I think that's really a case as well. Uh, I noticed when I have good competition in a meet, my numbers get elevated quite a bit. For example, this past meet at the RPS meet, a uh, good friend of mine, uh, Nick McPhee, was competing as well, and he's a very, very strong dude. And we actually had like a little bet going on on who would be the better, you know, better lifter that day, who would have the better total, and that definitely made me push myself. Um, I remember waiting around at the the judges' table after my second bench press, waiting to see what he would put in for his third, uh, so that I could match it. I didn't even, you know, I didn't care what I was gonna do. I just wanted to match his bench so that we would have a good competition. Uh, so definitely look and see what's going to attract the most people and the best lifters around. Um, which also kind of brings me into my next my next topic. This is going to be a, a quick, I'm just going to go through bullet points on like basically how to choose a federation. Uh, the equipment allowed. So this is a big one. Um, you know, I believe USAPL does everything on a stiff bar. Their bench, squat, and deadlift are all on a stiff bar. Uh, there's no monolift, you have to walk everything out, and knee wraps are not allowed. So in the sport of powerlifting, the goal is ultimately to lift the most amount of weight, right? So I, my philosophy is use everything to your advantage that you can, that's allowed to meet to make it so you can do so. So I like doing competitions that have a monolift that allow knee wraps, because I definitely lift a lot more in knee wraps than I do, you know, in just knee sleeves. So I definitely want to do that to try to get my squat number higher. Um, as well as having a deadlift bar. So a deadlift bar difference for me because I'm typically weaker off the floor, having that flex can add about 40 to 50 pounds, um, which actually makes a big difference, obviously, uh, by the end with your total. So having the equipment available and that what you normally train with can be a big uh, you know, decider in what meet you wanna do. Uh, for that reason, there's certain federations that I just, I won't compete in because you know, they have the stiff bar, they don't allow knee wraps, stuff like that. And I want to be able to lift the most amount of weight that I possibly can. Uh, so I'm going to go to those federations that offer that equipment for me. Um, so also there's a new, if you are new to powerlifting or pay attention to powerlifting, especially on Instagram and stuff like that, uh, you might have heard recently that the IPF just made some new rule changes. And I don't think that they are actually beneficial for the athlete. They're basically just satisfying internet trolls. Uh, that's what it seems to be. Uh, so one of the one of the new rules is to lay you on bench press. You have to lay as flat as possible. They don't want you arching up anymore. And the biggest thing that people say on Instagram, you know, like, oh, it doesn't count. She specifically females arched her back so much, like she barely had to move it. And you know what? That's just part of the sport. If you have the ability to arch up and make it so that you have a shorter range of motion, you should be able to do so. Um, I don't think that the IPF should have caved to these internet trolls and make it so they have to lay as flat as possible. And also biomechanically, when you arch up your back, so when you're not arching with your lumbar spine, you're trying to get extension of the thoracic spine, um, you are actually putting your shoulder in a much more stable position than having your back flat. Uh, the more you arch and the more you're able to tuck your elbows and tuck your shoulder blades back, um, the more functionally stable you are. So taking this out and not letting them arch at all, um, basically I think is going to lead to more injuries that we're going to see just because that shoulder is going to be a little bit more compromised. Another one of the rules that they did um, is the knee sleeves. 
So typically when you see knee sleeves in a meet, especially someone like Ray Williams or someone like that, they're not just putting on like loose knee sleeves. They, it takes a team to put their knee sleeves on. Uh, they want them as tight as possible, get as, you know, as much rebound that they can out of them. Uh, sometimes they have to put on like baby powder and slide it up with like a, a grocery bag under them so that they can actually slide them up. So now the new rule is that they have to be able to put their knee sleeves on in front of the judges before they step on the platform. And I have a loose pair of knee sleeves, and it takes a little bit of time just to put them on. So the fact that they want them, you know, to be seen being put on at the platform, they're going to be very loose. So I think that even with this rule change, not only are we going to see the bench press numbers go down and probably more injuries, we're also going to see the squat numbers drop pretty significantly. Uh, I know someone that wears very, very tight knee sleeves and competes in sleeves, uh, and they say they can get about 80 pounds out of their sleeves when they put on you know very tight uh, so imagine going from that to you know basically no support at all uh, I think that squat numbers are gonna take a hit as well uh, and there's one more thing that I want to touch on um, is basically looking at who they have for their spotters can make a big difference for your safety as well uh, I watched a few of the big meets happening uh, just live stream over the weekend there's USAPL Raw Nationals and there was Big Dogs so Big Dogs is a non-tested federation they have the monolift and knee wraps and all of that everything that I talked about uh, deadlift bar everything to try to get the biggest numbers possible because that's the whole point of that meet and then I saw USAPL Nationals which seems to be they try to be like the strictest type you know stiff bar for everything have to be walked out uh, no knee wraps and some of the spotting was pretty iffy uh there's a video going around instagram there's this older kind of guy middle-aged guy he's squatting and his knee gives out gives out and the bar falls right on him he collapses down the bars on him the spotters didn't catch it at all and then you look at big dogs and i think that weight was i don't know four to five hundred pounds it's not you know too too much relatively and then you look at the big dogs meat there's a guy who dumped 400 kilos, which is 880 pounds. It started to roll off his back, and the spotters caught it instantly. Like, it didn't even go down, like, three inches, and the spotters had it. The guy didn't get injured, none of that. He was just standing there, the bar slipped, spotters grabbed it before it even did anything. And that meat director was really proud of the fact that a bar has never hit the floor in their meat. You know, the spotters are really, really good. Um, and especially when working with this kind of weight, that can be, you know, very... I mean, it could be life-threatening even. Like, those traumatic injuries happen. Uh, if you look at, like, what happened with Brandon Lilly, uh, Mark Bell had that happen before, too. Uh, T. Cummings, you know, Larry Wheels. I mean, the list goes on and on of how injuries happen with the squat and the spotters don't catch it very well. So you actually even want to look at the crew who's going to be working at that meet uh, in terms of your safety. I think that that is a big contributor as well. Uh, that's why I like RPS as well, personally. Um, I'm not affiliated with them in any way. I just like their meets. The crew that they bring for their spotting and loading are very top-notch. Uh, I trust them, even with, you know, 700 pounds on my back and, you know, 450 pounds over my head. You know, those spotters have it. Uh, so that leads me to my unpopular opinion of the day. And this one might trigger a few people, but I guess that's why it's an unpopular opinion. Um, so trying to pick a federation can be tough right because there are i think 53 different federations in the united states um, and with that being said each one of them have a uh their own world records right so how can you have 53 different federations all with different world records um especially with some of these these federations are only located in like you know new england like how can you have a world record with only a few states so that's my unpopular opinion is 
Federation records really aren't real. Um, they just don't count. I mean, it, it can be said that, yeah, you've made a big accomplishment, uh, but how many people are competing in that Federation? Um, you know, how many states does it offer? Just because you're in the Federations in six states doesn't mean you're a world record holder. Um, the only ones that really count are the all-time world records. That's, you know, nobody else in the world has actually done that. That's a true world record. And I know it can be easy to get caught up with that when you're just beginning. Uh, me and Lauren definitely did. That's what we were chasing was uh, IPA and RPS world records. And by the time we, you know, came to realization that, you know, these don't really matter. I think Lauren racked up like 23 world records across the 123, 132 weight class and open juniors and drug tested. I, I mean, there's so many different classifications that can go into that, that go into, you know, making up a world record. And it's funny, there was a meet we did in New York, in Buffalo, where one of the girls should have been in Lauren's category, but instead this girl signed up as single ply, even though she was raw, because there were no single ply world records for that federation. And she just wanted to say that she was a world record holder, but didn't say that it was for single ply. So she did the meet, I don't know, she got like a 500 pound total. Um, and she's like, yeah, I'm a world record holder now. And it's like, not really. Um, and I think Elite FCS even put out an article with as many federations that there are, weight classes and divisions. Like sometimes there's military and police division, um, you know, raw, raw with wraps, elite, all that stuff, uh, that there could be a possibility of like 630,000 world records. And I think that that is just insane. Um, if anything, you know, these federation records shouldn't even exist. If anything, there should be like a federation rankings, if that makes sense, instead just say like, these are the top 10 people in this federation and use that to like go towards, you know, that federation's national meets or whatever. Um, but I don't believe that these just handing out world records like this are basically just like participation trophies. And I just, I don't agree with that. Um, you know, there's too many subpar lifters that have world records. Um, you should really be aiming higher, you know, try to get on the top 50 rankings. If you go to like openpowerlifting.org, yeah, I mean, you could be a world record holder, quote unquote, in a federation and not even break the top 100 for that weight class, um, which I see time and time again. Um, so I, that's my unpopular opinion, that federation world records really just, they're made up. They don't, they don't really mean anything. Um, so, I mean, if that's, if that's what you need to help motivate you to hit these certain numbers, so be it. I just don't think you should be calling yourself a world record holder. That's my opinion. Um, but I mean, it is a cool accomplishment just as you're starting out uh, to be like, you know, I am the best in this federation. And that's when you can realize like, okay, now where do I need to go from here? Start climbing the actual rankings, branch out to other federations if necessary. I don't think that anybody should be, you know, glued in and just do one federation. It's really cool to get out there and try a bunch. I think me and Lauren have done five different federations at this point. Um, and they all have their pros and cons. Um, I know IPA had multiple platforms going at once, but made the day pretty quick. Um, so, I mean, at the end of the day, do whatever federation fits or aligns most with what you believe in, what's close to you, what's gonna have good competition, you know, what financially makes the most sense. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's just all about having fun, you know, improving your numbers and, you know, beating other people. I, I mean, it's a sport, uh, it is a competition, you are trying to beat other people as well as improve on yourself. Uh, so with that, that's the end of the podcast for this time. Uh, next time I'm trying to have a guest on again, so if you have any suggestions, please let me know. Uh, as always, feel free to message me on Instagram, at ThePowerDoc, and thanks for listening again.
Thank you for listening to the Power Doc Talks. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. Also, be sure to follow at the Power Doc on Instagram for more educational content and leave suggestions for future episodes.